I want to pick up the theme, extravagant love. Uh, We are in this passage a couple of weeks after Easter. Now we're only a week after Easter here, I realise that. But in this passage, we're a couple of weeks after Easter. And uh, Jesus has been crucified and he has died for you and for me. We know the greatest verse in the Bible, don't we? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. God so loved the world, that's extravagant love. That he gave his only son, that's extravagant love. In order to save the world and not condemn the world, that's extravagant love. And in these past few weeks, the disciples have been on a roller coaster. They've been on a journey that probably they would never want to repeat again. Uh, They've gone from the heights of Palm Sunday as they entered Jerusalem. As they did so, the crowds came out. They tore branches off the trees. They lay their cloaks on the floor and they, they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. They welcomed him in as their entering king. Everybody had come out to celebrate. They thought this is the moment. This is the point in history when it's going to happen. The atmosphere was an electric and there was a sense of excitement in the air. The disciples would have experienced that throughout their ministry. They'd have experienced ministering with Jesus, seeing the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead raised, seeing the sick healed, seeing those who were excluded included, those who were lost found, those who were broken made well again. They'd experienced this incredible journey with him in ministry. And they had put all their hope in him because they felt that this was the man, this was the one who was going to fulfill their dreams. This was the one uh, whose destiny it was to lead God's people again. He was one who was going to be like a Moses, coming in and, and bringing them out from slavery in Egypt, coming in and and ridding them of the Romans. And his story would be told again and again of what he had done for the people of Israel. And then, of course, they plummet to the depths of Good Friday. And what goes on there? They watch as their master is taken away. They watch the cruelty of the trial. They watch as he goes through... uh, his personal crisis, his personal journey in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter goes through his own crisis of faith. The disciples scatter. The crowds who'd cried Hosanna now cry crucify. And the disciples suddenly feel alone. They've gone from this jubilant state of it's all going to happen. This is the one. This is where our hope is to an absolute place of desperation. What What could all of this possibly mean? And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, they're swept back up again. They go from despair, from questioning, to the height of elation as Jesus is raised from the dead. And he appears to them in the very room where they're standing and he passes his peace to them and he says, he breathes on them and he says, receive my Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit of God. This is your time. 
This is now your season. This is the beginning of the new time. And he breathed on them something of the breath of God, the life of God, the power of God, so that they could understand and believe. And that's why, that's why we here, we consider ministry to be so important. When we come to receive, we come to receive something of the breath of God, something of the life of God, something of the goodness of God in your life and my life. Ministry is so important. I, I, I um, have the opportunity so often of going to different churches and, and uh, whenever I do so, um, because we have ministry, it's just normal here, isn't it? That's what we do. We pray for one another. That's what we do. I think it's the most normal thing in the world. One lovely, lovely um, uh, visitor to our house a while ago who, uh, I'm not sure she's a follower of Christ, but uh, we were asking her what she thought of the services here. And she said, the best thing is when you all go up the front and you care for each other. I thought that was great, wasn't it? That's the best thing. And actually, it is a great thing. And I go to so many other churches and they don't do it. And I was at one a while ago uh, speaking and uh, just before I got up to speak, the pastor said, said, uh, Mark, whatever you do, don't lead ministry. We're not ready for it. So I said, well, can we just see how we go? So, and I could see him looking at me all the way through my talk thinking, oh my giddy on. I could see it on his face, you know, this is going to be terrible. So I said at the end of my talk, I said, no, I know you don't normally do this. <laughs> and, and I won't be here next week, so you can just ignore it after next week. But if you would like to receive the spirit that we've talked about today, just come forward now. That's what we do at our church. Then next week you can just go back to normal, but this is what we do at our church. So just come forward now. Honestly, everybody but two people came forward. The whole church came forward. It was quite extraordinary. The pastor, his jaw went down like that. He's like, the two church wardens who he said would be absolutely against it were first up. Ministry is so important because it's when the Holy Spirit breathes on us. You know, in, in, in a worship service like we have today, we, we, we sing songs. We sing songs because something of that declaring truth with our lips softens our hearts. Declaring the goodness of God is a really important thing to do. You know, if, we, if we're not declaring it, we're not going to believe it. But we do believe it when we declare it. It's like it's a good thing to remind ourselves of who God is. And then, and then we simply look at the word. We say, well, Lord, what would you say to us? How would you direct us? What would you do with our lives? And then most importantly, we say, now come. Now come and minister to us and through us. Through your Holy Spirit. That's ministry. That's all we do at the front here. It's such an important thing that we all get ministered to. That we all receive ministry all the time. That bit when we care for one another is a really important bit of the service. Anyway, that's by the by. That wasn't to do this passage this evening, but it's very important. And, and Jesus gathered with the disciples and he breathed upon them. And we pray breathes upon us each and every time that we gather. And of course, Thomas uh, is invited in that place to um, 
uh, in that place of, of doubt and questioning, uh, he, Jesus says to him, don't be faithless, Thomas, any longer, but believe. And Thomas himself declares, my Lord and my God. Having doubted, having questioned, he says, it's all true. It's all true. This, this is what it's about. The risen Jesus Christ. This is what it's about. This is where transformation comes. This is where life change comes. This is where the nation gets changed. This is the hope of the world. And this life that the disciples have found for themselves, the life they've discovered as the Holy Spirit breathes upon them, this is the life for you and for me as well. And we come to this reading this evening. And according to our reading, it's the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples. We're about two weeks now following uh, Easter Sunday morning. But he's appeared many more times, hasn't he? He's appeared to 500 people at one time. And he's appeared to others on different occasions. The disciples today, they've gone out fishing. Peter Peter says... uh, They've gathered together. It says, later, Jesus appeared to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. The most amazing event in history has just happened. And he says, I'm off fishing. I find that quite an extraordinary thing. But then, probably quite an understandable thing. Who can blame them? I don't know about you, but when I'm anxious about something, I tend to do something else. Do you do that? When you've got something you should do, you do something else. Because it's a distraction, isn't it? Do you do that? Do you remember back to, some of you still got to go through it, and you revise? The fridge is the most visited place in the house, you know. There's things to look at urgently on the internet. There's a bedroom to tidy instead of revision. There's always something else to do, isn't there? When we're anxious about something, we do something we know how to do. We do something that we're comfortable with. We do something else. And that's what these fishermen do. They need a bit of therapeutic fishing to help them with their emotional well-being. And a good night's fishing is probably just what the doctor would have ordered for them. And Peter, Peter is the leader. He says, I'm going. And so the others, yeah, we'll come with you. He's the one. He gets things done. He achieves, th- achieves things. He says, we've, we've had enough of sitting around, waiting for the next appearance. We can't just sit here. Let's go do something. Let's be busy. Let's use our time. At least do something that we know how to do. And as the sun rose, maybe they were looking at the beach and they could see someone standing there. They'd had a bit of a disappointing night. No fish. All night long. I mean, these guys knew how to fish and they still didn't catch any fish. Now, sometimes fishermen do that. Now, my friend Chris isn't here this evening, but he goes fishing quite a lot and often he doesn't catch anything. If I were him, I'd be depressed. I question why he goes fishing. But he loves it. He goes fishing a lot, and sometimes he catches nothing. And he says, I had a good two hours, Mark. And I think, well, that sounds terribly boring to me. But, you know, he loves it. But these guys, they knew how to fish as well. And they go out fishing all night. 
My goodness me. How many people here are fishermen? None. One. Two? You're a fisherman? You did it with your granddad when you were little. Yeah, that's sweet, Mark. That doesn't, doesn't make you a fisherman. It doesn't make you a fisherman. That's terrible. They've been out all night. They've been out all night, and it's good to get my own back on them, isn't it? They've been out all night, and they've caught nothing. And as they're coming in, they see someone standing at the shore. Maybe the sun was rising. And he calls out to them, have you caught anything? I mean, that's what we always ask fishermen, isn't it? Did you catch anything? You know, have you got anything in your net? They go, no, we've got nothing. And he says, well, throw your ropes, throw your nets out. That's why I never go fishing. I'm throw ropes out. <laughs> throw your nets out. Throw your nets out on the right-hand side, and you'll catch lots of fish. Now, why did they do that? Why did they throw their nets out? I mean, they're fishermen. They knew there were no fish. They'd been out there all night. They knew what they were doing. Who was this fellow on the shore? What was he doing shouting to them while he was cooking his breakfast over a fire? But for some reason, for some reason, they did what he said. They threw their nets out. Perhaps there was a conviction in his voice. Perhaps there is a familiarity about him. But they threw their nets out on the side. And this is what happened. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And it's John, isn't it? John, John, it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. He suddenly realizes whose voice it was, even though he couldn't see him clearly, probably. He said, it's the Lord. John, it says, recognizes his voice. And when Simon Peter hears that, he puts on his tunic and he jumps in the water. He's not going to wait for the boat to get back into shore. He wants to get to be with Jesus. There's an important lesson just there for us. The urgency to be with the Lord. We won't let anything get in our way. Not a hundred yards of water. We'll just get there to be with God. I want to bring out four little points from this passage. The first is this, friends. We've got to learn to recognize the voice of God. We've got to learn to recognize the voice of God. That's what John did. He heard the voice. He heard the voice and was prompted to say, It's the Lord. We need to learn to recognize the voice of God. When is God speaking to us? When is God prompting us? When does God whisper in your ear? When does God encourage you to do something? Many times God will have spoken to many of us and we've not responded. I bet many times you had a little thought, a little prompting that said, why don't you phone so-and-so? Anybody ever experienced that? Or perhaps I should email such and such a person. Or perhaps I should, or perhaps I should. Have you ever had that? I had it this week. I had it this week. We were away on holiday this week, and we were, I was out cycling. And as I was out cycling, I just had a random thought. I thought, I have to contact my friend, Kenny. 
It was a random thought. So when my son Joss and I stopped for a little break to get our flapjacks out, I said, son, I've just got to send an email to my friend Kenny. So I just got my phone out and emailed Kenny. I don't know why I had to email him, but I emailed him. He hasn't responded yet. But the thing is, it doesn't matter if he does or not. The thing is, when the Lord prompts us, let's do it. If Kenny doesn't ever respond, that's okay. He got a really nice email from me. But maybe it was just the email he needed. Maybe it's just the phone call someone needs. Maybe it's just the follow-up someone needs. Maybe it's just the conversation someone needs. Just, just that little bit of encouragement you're going to give them. I really should speak to so-and-so and encourage them, to thank them for, to, 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 to say how well done to them, or whatever it might be. The Lord, the Lord prompts us all the time. Jesus himself um, uh, demonstrated this throughout his life. He often retreated. He got up early and retreated to a quiet place to pray. He, you often find him in a place listening to his father. He says, I only do what the father tells me to do. Jesus knows the importance in his ministry of listening to his father's voice. John heard Jesus' voice. We've got to learn to listen to the voice of God. And when we listen to the voice of God to respond, to respond to his prompting. Often, Jesus said to the disciples, didn't he? He said, come away with me. Come away and get some rest. Come away to a quiet place. Come away and retreat. Psalms, Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and listen. Listen to the voice of God. Listen to the prompting of God. Listen to what God might say to you. Stop and be still. Don't fill your lives with such frenetic activity that we don't have time to stop and listen to the voice of our Heavenly Father. I'm sure you've heard about the, um, it was about uh, six or seven months ago now, there was an article in the newspaper about an Australian nurse who had uh, over a, worked in a hospice and over a 20-year period she asked people what things they had most regretted in their life. And the most common thing that people said was they regretted being so busy. They wished they'd stopped and were still a little bit more. Isn't that amazing? The most common thing that people say, I regret being so busy in life. I regret not stopping and enjoying the moment. We're to learn to stop, to stop and to listen to the voice of God. Most people are looking for community in life and community only happens when we stop and we be still and we be with others learn to listen to the voice of God stop and be still hear his voice listen to his promptings and act upon them second thing I want to say from this um, is, is don't lose sight of the big dream I guess uh, this is said of every generation but this is our generation this is our time you know, the world needs changing. It needs changing. Our community needs changing. Every society needs changing. Every nation needs changing. And the hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the one who came back from the dead. He is the one 
who inspired the disciples. He is the one who motivated mission. He is the one, through him, more than a third of the world's population are now followers of Jesus Christ. Through him, we're seeing social transformation, national transformation, communities being transformed. Through him, still, good news is being told. Dream the big dream. In our reading, they were asked, the disciples were asked to cast their nets on the other side. In other words, if you take time to listen and then you obey what God asks you to do, fruit will come. Obey what he asks you to do. Live the big dream. If, if, if God says this world can be changed, why not live it out together? Why not believe this world can be changed and the answer can come. We're part of the answer. God working in us and through us that we would see this world changed. The fishermen could have questioned why they had to throw their nets over the side. They hadn't caught anything all night. Instead, they just humbly obey. If that's what you want us to do, then that's what we'll do. But that's what we'll do. Obeying the voice of Jesus enabled them to be successful in their fishing trip. Obeying the voice of Jesus will enable our church to be fruitful in what it does. Obeying the, no- the voice of Jesus will enable you and your life to look back and say, God was with me. God was with me as we see lives changed, as we see good news come. Dream the big dream. With God, it is possible. With God, transformation is possible. With God, good news is possible. With God, lives can be restored. With God, resurrection can happen. With God, with God, the future is bright. We must listen and obey. Third thing, the third thing is, I want to mention is the big catch. He says, throw your nets out on the other side and you'll get plenty of fish. The catch is vast, but the nets didn't break. I don't think we should be satisfied with where the kingdom of God is at the moment in the world. Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 9, he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The harvest is great. We're to go into all the nations. That's what he gave us a commission to do. He says, I commission you to go into every nation. I commission you to go with the good news. There's a vast catch yet to be found. We might find that we're going out and doing lots of things and not actually bringing people to faith. Do you know, your commission and my commission is to share the good news of Jesus that people's lives would be radically transformed. Last week when we were here, in the evening, eight people were baptised. And I see from tonight's notices, we've got it on video, so that's quite nice, isn't it? DVD or whatever you call it. We've got it. Their testimonies, I thought, were fantastic. Just the testimonies of lives changed. It was inspiring to listen to. It was inspiring. This was my life. This is now my life. And I'm going to give it to God. Eight inspiring stories of God's good news at work in our lives. You know... uh, There is a harvest out there. There's a big catch to be got. And those stories can continue to be told and happen. 
Recently, I met with someone from Operation Mobilization. He was telling me about the growth of church in China. And um, uh, he was talking about it, saying that the Chinese pastors have seen phenomenal growth in their church every year. Talking about literally millions of people coming to faith. Church is starting up and having two or three thousand members fairly immediately. As everybody goes out to share this good news. Quite extraordinary growth in the church there. The vast numbers of people yet to be won. Friends, the disciples' nets didn't break. God will expand our structures so that we have the necessary structures in place. We just need to bring the catch in. That's about us, living the big dream. Living the big dream and going out and doing what God has called us to do, seeking to bring those in. And my fourth and final point, and I want to go into communion from this, is that actually is the breakfast that Jesus ate. Jesus ate with them. He shared a meal with his disciples. I think this is really significant. If, 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 if I asked you to name a meal in the Bible that was the most significant meal you may not come up with it because, of course, you're members of St. Paul, so you're really biblically literate church. But most church members would say, probably the Last Supper. I think this has got to be one of the most significant meals. Why? Because it's the resurrected Jesus who ate food with the disciples. It was a physical resurrection. There was nothing spiritual and and. and, and and nebulous about it. It was, a, it was a physical resurrection. He'd fully overcome death. The physical resurrection put faith in the disciples' hearts and fueled them for mission. That's why the world has changed as it has. That's why lives continue to be changed. Because these few people said, we believe it with all our hearts because we've seen it and experienced it and we're going to go out and tell others about it. Secondly, there was a celebration. Jesus tells them to bring the fish so that they can celebrate together. There's a celebration because the disciples are doing what Jesus asked them to do. I think, I think last week's uh, baptisms and, uh, uh, and testimonies were a real celebration of what Jesus has done. We've got some more. There's another opportunity to get baptized coming up in May. But it, it just a great celebration of lives changed and the story of God going on. And I think when, when Jesus gathered the disciples together, he said, come, let's celebrate together. Let's eat together. Eating and remembering the good news of the story of God. That's what we're going to do in a moment together. We're going to share bread and wine together and we're going to remember the good news of Easter, the resurrected Christ whose body was given for us, whose blood was shed for us, but is now alive and at work in your life and my life, alive and at work in this world, wanting to bring change and good news. And it's that there's an intimacy there, isn't there? Having a meal with someone is an intimate occasion. And here, Jesus, he invites his friends And he commissions us, he says, go on eating together. And the new church, the new church in Acts 2, it says, they met together daily in their homes and they broke bread with glad and sincere hearts, remembering the favour of God upon them. 
and many were added to their number on a daily basis. There's an intimacy of eating a meal together. There's an intimacy with Jesus. There's a saying, this is us, and we're in it together. So friends, four things, really. The first is this, that we learn to listen to the voice of God, to hear his voice. As John knew his voice, so we're to listen to his voice. If we know his voice, we'll follow his promptings. Secondly is to follow his promptings, to obey what he says to us. Obey what he's calling us to. Dream the big dream. Thirdly, there's a big catch out there to believe it, that we can go out and we can take this good news out and this is life-changing, transformational good news that will affect everybody who hears it. And to be people who share an intimacy with God, believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus and him wanting to celebrate with us and to intimately eat a meal together.